Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining Sundays with Dr. Sean and God and Country Radio. We, uh, we're excited to have you. We have lots of good food here, as always. There's homemade soup, homemade brownies, ice cream that will count as homemade because it really tastes good. All kinds of good stuff here. There's all kinds of fruit and vegetables, too, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, today, the title of my message is, You Better Watch Your Tongue. There's no point in denying the danger that my mouth can get me into. How about you? The scripture is very clear in its warning to us about our tongue. So much good we can do with our tongue and so much trouble our little old bitty tongue can cause. Does this mean we're to be mealy-mouthed and only have nicey-nice things to say to people? Well, the pacifistic left would have you believe if you aren't saying something nice, you shouldn't say anything at all. Well, slow down, slam dancer. We're to be tellers of the truth with a capital T. I want to remind you, political correctness is rarely the truth. Political correctness is never scriptural. I also want to remind you folks to uh, pray for my good buddy, Chris Cahalan. There's a a whole mess of people that have amassed around the country and even some folks overseas that are praying for Chris. Uh, Just had a big uh, event for him out in Minnesota, uh, big purple, and they've got a lot of hope and and, uh, great attitudes and a bunch of people gathered together for the event. It was pretty awesome. And I do wish I could have been there. So those of you who have committed to praying for Chris, I, I uh, really encourage you to continue to pray. Their family is in, in the fight of their lives. So today we're going to talk about that nasty tone. James 3, 2, 4, we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who can bridle his whole body. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? There's a whole lot of Hebrew up in here. There's a lot, a lot of Hebrew in this particular passage because uh, if, you, if you really pick this apart, which I never do, Scripture pick it apart, uh, for we all stumble. Now, that's an acknowledgment from Yaakov or James that we're human. We're human people. We, we all stumble. We all have our struggles. We, we, the expectation upon ourselves to be perfect is not the expectation to be holy. And a lot of times people get that mixed up. Stumble in many ways. Many ways we stumble. There are so many things that trip us up. 
But if a man doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a mature man who can bridle his whole body. In other words, maturity is really measured by you ever know somebody, I guess I guess I'll give you an example. You ever know somebody that you know, they don't say a whole lot, but boy, when they talk, you really want to listen. It's ironic, I just uh asked for prayer for my buddy Chris Cahalen. Since I met Chris many, many years ago, I always viewed Chris as that guy who he doesn't say much, but when he talks, it's worth him. So that's a mature man that can bridle his whole body. Verse number three, if we put a bit into a horse's mouth to make it obey us, we control its whole body as well. Now, that's a little uh, that's a little hopeful. How many of you in here are horse people? How many have ever you've dealt with horses? Now, you can think that you have the horse under control, but who is the most important of the equation to believe that you have the horse under its control, under your control? The horse. It's absolutely critical. The horse must believe that you're under its control. The horse is big, sometimes 1,500, 2,000 pounds for those real big Clydesdales. And if they ever decide that you're not in control, guess what? You're not in control. But you put this little bitty bit into its mouth, and that makes it go left, go right, stop, go, you hope. We can control its whole body, that massive body, that little bitty thing. Then verse 4, and think of a ship. Although it is huge and it's driven by a strong winds, yet the pilot can steer it wherever he wants with just a small rudder. Think about a ship, and it's interesting in this particular time, you know, when Yaakov is writing this, you know, when we're talking about a ship, ships are very different than what we have today. Very, very different. There was no motor power. There was just the wind and rowing but they referred to it as a ship. And there were some big boats then, of course, absolutely. Obviously, the Ark was sort of the prototype. And uh, I've always been interested to see what the Ark looks like. I always imagine the Ark to be a wooden version of those. You ever see those container ships, those automobile ships or the containers? They're really big. They're just, they don't even look like a ship. It's just like a block, a huge block of three football fields going down the uh, going down the, the the passageway, the riverway, and out into the ocean. But you think of a ship; it's huge. And back then, they depended on wind, wind to be driven. Yet the pilot can steer it wherever he wants with just a small rudder. That is an important thing because in Hebrew worldview, the Hebrew way of looking at things, you look at it like this: you say. The wind drives me. Who did who did the Jews depend on to provide the wind? The wind was provided by Adonai, Elohim, God. God provided the wind. He was the wind. He was in the wind. He was the wind. He was in the wind. He provided the wind. And yet a pilot can steer a boat, even despite the wind, by using the rudder, just a small rudder. Absolutely amazing. So now you're getting the picture. So to the tongue is a tiny part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how a little fire sets a whole forest ablaze. Think about it this way. What is the uh, Smokey, what is it? What's it, What's the bear, Smokey the bear, right? And what's he say? What's his little saying? 
Only you can prevent forest fires, right? One little match, one little piece of glass that reflects on a dry tinder, one little piece of metal that the sun shines down and a bottle, anything, anything can cause it. It's the littlest thing. Starts the littlest fire. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, I know uh, in the town where I live, there's there's a, uh, it's a chain restaurant. Uh, I won't say their name because they don't pay for advertising. This is a capitalist show here. Uh, hey, you know. So, uh, but if they want to pay, hey, you know, we'll announce them. Why not? Uh, so, at this at this place, this eatery, somebody gets out of their car and they were a smoker. So, what do they do? Uh, they had just had a delivery of mulch put in. And they just flicked their cigarette. I guess they thought it was out or it would go out, work its way out. Landed in the mulch. Eight minutes later, that establishment was burned to the ground. It was full of people. Luckily, no one was hurt. Uh, a couple of firemen were, were, uh, it got some smoke inhalation, but uh, it, it went so fast, it burned all the way to the ground. And, uh, and it, was, it was just amazing. What's amazing to me is that a, a building built within the past 10 or 15 years would burn that quickly, but it did. And here's the crazy thing. It was brick on the outside. People say, oh, you know, it's brick on the outside. It burnt to the ground in eight minutes. One little cigarette butt. Interestingly enough, in the neighborhood that I live, not too long after that, remember? The neighborhood where I live, after that, a guy was getting ready to go to work. He was standing on his back deck. Uh, it's a townhouse community, so he was on his back, I think, second or third floor deck. And, uh, you know, second floor he was on, and uh, he just figured, you know, I'm just going to flick that cigarette, you know, because it disappears into thin air. And, uh, unfortunately, a breeze caught, landed on his neighbor's deck, caught his neighbor's deck on fire, burnt his neighbor's home. This was, what, three years ago. Burn his neighbor's home, burn him out of their house. Uh, and almost burning himself out of his own house. Massive damage to both homes. Amazing, isn't it? One little ember can can set a whole forest ablaze. So we know that little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. Little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. Yes, a tongue. This is verse six. A tongue. The tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in our body that it defiles every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of our life, and it is set on fire by Gehonom itself. Now, first, before I go into Gehonom, I'm going to teach you a little bit about what Gehonom. We see we see words a lot of times when we read through them. I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible, so it's a little bit different than what you, you may be holding in our audience uh, online. By the way, last week we had 31,452 as of right before the broadcast, 31,452 people listened to the message last week. Isn't that crazy? Such a little thing, just a little computer and a microphone, and look, it can go to all those people. That just blows my mind. It blows my mind. If I ever learn how to use the Internet, boy, look out. The Internet. So the tongue is so placed in our body that it defiles every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of our life. The whole of our life. Remember the examples that were set here. A little bitty fire sets a whole forest ablaze. A great big ship is controlled by a little bitty, comparatively speaking, rudder. And now we're talking 
about our lives. A world of wickedness. Not a little bit of wickedness, but a lot of wickedness. The tongue is so placed in our body that it defiles every part of it, setting ablaze the whole of our life. And it is set on fire by Gehenom itself. Now, let me say this before going on to teach you a little bit about what Gehenom is. Um, you need to understand, folks, you need to understand that uh, have you ever, we'll just put it this way just for fun, have you ever said something that was extremely costly to you? Extremely costly. Something you said was extremely costly to you. You paid dearly for that thing you said. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'll raise my hand right here and now. I have paid dearly for things that I've said. What I thought at the time, a simple thing, dearly I paid for something I said. So... That's the thing, folks. That tongue can set ablaze the whole of your life. The whole of your life. Your whole life. One thing. How many of you know of somebody that got fired from a job for something they posted on social media, Facebook or otherwise? Yeah, there's people all the time uh, that, that lose their jobs. In fact, today uh, on a on a what is alleged to be a conservative news network, they were talking about should you friend your boss and your coworkers on your personal Facebook page? Should you friend them? Because, boy, something bad could happen. You could post something that ticks them off. You, they might not like it. And then that might cause you to lose your job. So you have to think about what you put on Facebook. Now, I, I can tell you that I put what I want on Facebook. I say what I want. I do what I want. I'll have no part of political correctness for the remainder of my days, however long that'll be. For the remainder of my days, I'm, I'm, I have, I'll have no part of it. I'll have no part of it. You'll see why in a little bit. But the whole of somebody's life by something they said. How many big stars do you know that were caught on tape saying something and then their career is in the dumper? Now, it seems like you can be as anti-white as you want to be. You can be uh, as anti-conservative. You can make as many conservative jokes. You can joke about Yeshua or Jesus Christ all you want. No problem. We have no problem with that. God forbid you make a joke about a Muslim. God forbid you draw a cartoon about Muhammad and people start dying. People start dropping around you. God forbid... A uh, you know Tom Selleck took a lot of heat many years ago uh, on a couch of Rosie O'Donnell's show when she was set up, and he put her in her place real quick about his stance on guns. And he said, you know, I noticed you have bodyguards. What do they carry? A loud voice? Do they say stop, or then they say stop louder? If the person doesn't stop, it's coming to hurt you. Isn't that a little hypocritical that you have bodyguards? What is it about the rest of the people? They're not allowed to protect themselves. Is it that they're not worth protecting? Maybe that's it. It didn't mess up his career. But can you think of somebody whose career was really, really messed up 
when they came out as conservative. Isn't that funny we would say that, come out as conservative? It's like some big hidden thing. Stacy Dash, you all know who Stacy Dash is. She's a black young lady. Uh, she's really good actress. She's really dynamic, very beautiful. Uh, she came out as conservative. She stood up for a conservative that was being bashed. And all of a sudden, she took massive, massive heat. There are several comedians, one of which is Kevin James. Kevin James is kind of the portly guy. He's the big, heavyset guy that you know does, you know, he does a lot of physical comedy. But he's very, very funny. You'll notice his stuff is always really pretty clean. Well, Kevin James is a very conservative Catholic, and he is committed to doing, from here on out, only movies that children can see. And unless he invest in his own movie and makes his own movie with his friend Adam Sandler, who is also, you might be surprised to know, very conservative politically. He's not been in any movies. Hollywood makes a decision that we, we, we love free speech as long as it's us speaking. But there are many people whose whole career, her, their whole livelihood has been wrecked by something they said. I'm going to give you an example. You can take it for what you want. Mel Gibson. Now, Mel Gibson's whole life went into the toilet. I'll submit to you, when he was making Passion of the Christ uh, and before, he was a six-pack of cigarettes a day smoker. Now, apparently he doesn't smoke anymore. He has quit because they said, you will die. Most assuredly, you will die. And, and apparently he's, he's quit his smoking. Six packs of... He lit his next cigarette with his last cigarette. He literally would smoke until he went to sleep. And then as soon as he woke up, he'd smoke again. Six packs. That's six times 20 for you mathematicians. Average that out over the day. That's a lot of cigarette smoking. And he had done that for a long time. But, you know, when he was making the movie, The Passion of the Christ, oh, by the way, on his own dime, because no one else would invest in it, so many things happened during the making of that movie. Uh, sometime go on and do an a Internet search of miracles of the Passion of the Christ. And you'll hear things. Jim Caviezel will come up, and he and he testifies to things. The lady who played Mary Magdalene, she'll testify to things. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she will testify to things. Amazing, unexplainable miracles that happened during the filming of the Passion of the Christ. But you know what? Afterwards, this movie had such a claim. Afterwards, they say that Mel Gibson just lost it. Now, we all know that Mel Gibson, we know this now, that he was a raging alcoholic. He had a terrible alcohol problem. And he he said things and he raged and all of these different things. And uh, they they say he's very, very anti-Semitic, which I don't like, of course. Uh, he has since come out and, and said, look, I've got some serious problems. There's no doubt about it. But he said one thing in particular. Apparently talking about the Jews isn't a bad thing, but when you start talking about other Hollywood people and how fake they are, that is a bad thing, especially if you're ultra-liberal and you're very, very conservative. And no one would even talk to Mel Gibson, despite the fact that he made one of the most successful movies, independent movies of all time. The most successful foreign language movie, subtitled movie, Christian movie of all time. All those categories he owns. The whole of our life. I want you to put that image in your mind. The whole of your life. 
Have you ever, I'm going to give you the flip side of it just for fun at no cost or obligation to you. Have you ever said something that changed your life? One little thing. It changed your life forever. I do. Somebody there just said, I do. Two words, one word, five words. How about a time when you got asked, would you like to participate in this or that? Would you like this job? Would you like this project? Would you like to live here? Would you like to go here? Would you like this or that? And you said yes, and it changed the rest of your life. How about if you said no? Sometimes saying no will change the rest of your life for good. It will protect and preserve you. Sometimes the simplest little words can make your life. But sadly, a lot of times, the simplest little word can absolutely destroy your whole life. I know people that committed suicide after they, uh, you know, they, they had a, a hidden thing and it became discovered and, or maybe they said something, uh, they spoke out. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example. You know, the folks that are in Seinfeld, the show, how many of you here know what Seinfeld is? Some, some folks don't have a television. Uh, Seinfeld, one of the most successful comedy shows uh, in history. Absolutely super successful. And all of the people on Seinfeld became mega millionaires. Mega millionaires. On 10 years, uh, it was absolutely a super successful show. For good reason. It was a hilarious show. Hilarious show. Great writing, great acting, great cast, the whole bit. But here's the thing. Michael Richards, he was, of course, he played the part of Cosmo Kramer. You know, the guy that would come bursting through the door and, you know, he had the crazy hair and the crazy, whoa, you know, all of this. Uh, he was just a crazy friend. Nobody knew anything about Kramer. What, what does he do for a living? How does he live? How does this guy live? You know, he's always barging in and, and bringing craziness into the room. But he was originally supposed to be a real bit part, a one-time bit part. And the, the live audience loved him so much, and everybody in the cast loved him so much, they wrote him in as a major character. One, one little tiny part. And he became a huge star. Then after the show closed, uh, he was a stand-up comic when he, was on, when he got on the show. Before, you know, that's what he did for a career. And Michael Richards one time was in a, uh, he was getting heckled, doing a, doing a comedy show. He was getting heckled, and he went, the guy just was unrelentless that was heckling him. We know now that the guy was a plant. So Michael Richards went after him. The guy's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Well, somebody was recording it with, of course, their cell phone. And then they did this right here. Let me see, take two seconds here. Look, I can film. I can film. And then I can do this, tweeting it out to millions of people. I didn't really just do that. I just pretended, mostly because I'm not that good at it, so I can't do it that quick. So if I was there, I'd have been lost. But So that's what they did. They tweeted it out. They selectively edited it when the national news media got a hold of it, and it really made him out. They cut out all of what the other guy said, the heckler said, and they just included a little snippet of what he said. Have you ever seen something like that happen before Michael Richards' career, he he was highly sought. 
highly sought. They had a, a show in development for him. NBC had a show in development for him in which he was going to be the star of his own show, kind of like a spin-off series. It was expected to do very, very well. There's a book right here my good buddy Don brought me today. Thank you, Don. I'm going to plug this book even though you know I, I know of these guys, but I don't know these guys. I've heard them speak. Uh, I have read excerpts of the book, and I've seen interviews with them. The Benham Brothers, David and J- Jason Benham, Whatever the Cost, Facing Your Fears, Dying to Your green- Dreams, and Living Purposefully. Crazy thing about these guys, the Benham Brothers, they had a show. They were all set in development for a show on uh, HGTV. And HGTV was very excited. They were all set. The money was going to be huge. They knew it was going to be an instant success because everything that they'd done before had tested super positively. These guys are impossible not to like. Professional athletes, um, but they, they build homes. They rehab homes. Just great personalities. You just can't help but like these guys. They're good guys. And then one day they got asked a question. Hey, we hear your dad was a pastor. Where do you stand on same-sex marriage? And they gave the biblical definition of marriage and said, well, this is where we stand. It went viral. It hit all of the major news networks. It went through all the papers. And, of course, they didn't put the whole thing in there, but they put enough. And they get a call the next morning, and it says from the you know, executives at HGTV, are you willing to do a retraction? Hey, look, you know, we don't want to tell you what to believe, but are you willing to do a retraction? No, we're not. This is what we believe. We don't mean any harm to anybody, but this is what we believe. This is what we were taught. We believe the scriptures. We believe in biblical marriage, not in legal marriage. And they said, we're going to have to let you guys go. They had totally changed their whole life. They had totally changed their whole life. One quick few words. Something they believed that was not politically correct. And they lost their livelihood. They had changed everything in their life to accommodate doing this show. It can happen both ways. It can happen both ways. Have you ever seen someone discovered one song? There's this show uh, called America's Got Talent. And there's this one show uh, where this young girl from the Philippines She's she's from the Philippines, and she has the voice of an angel. Well, she's now very, very, Charlene, I think, is her first name. Very, very famous now. Uh, travels all over the world. David Foster discovered her uh, from being on that show. He signed her immediately. Um, can sing amazingly. Better than Whitney Houston. Better than, I don't know, you name whoever. I mean, she just can absolutely sing. One minute and 20 seconds changed their life. Just a few words. Anyway, hopefully I've made, I've beaten this horse to death. You see what I'm saying. Sometimes your tongue, what you say, what you're saying, can absolutely turn everything around for good and for bad. But the Bible here says in Yaakov uh, 3.6, or James 3.6, that the tongue is so placed in our body that it defiles every part of it, setting ablaze, the whole of our life, and it is set on fire by Gehenom itself. Let's talk about Gehenom. You need to understand what this word, really words, hyphenated words, really means in order to know what it really means. A walk through the green and tranquil valley of Hinnom, below Jerusalem's old city walls, 
reveals beautiful views of the Holy Land and some dark tales, too. It's not easy to find something good to say about the Hinnom Valley in Jerusalem, whose bad press from biblical days has followed it down through the ages. After all, it was here, right around the corner from the first temple, that the people of Judah offered their children to the fire god, Molech, and to Baal. That's talked about in Jeremiah 7, 31, 32, 35. For which Jeremiah warned them they would pay with the destruction of the temple and exile. The full name of this low-lying land is the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, whoever that may have been. Knowing nothing about either son or father, we can only conjecture that Hinnom probably bequeathed his son some rather fertile farmland in this valley that surrounds old Jerusalem in the southwest. The valley's name in Hebrew is Gebein Hinnom, or simply Gehenom. In light of the sacrifices to the fire god, the latter name gave rise to the word Gehenna, which over time became a synonym for hell. Early Jewish sages saw Isaiah 31.9, which says God's fire is in Zion and furnace in Jerusalem as a reference to this valley, which they described as the gates of hell. The valley's other biblical name, Topheth, means inferno, adding to its image as a place of eternal torment. On a more positive note, when the people of Judah returned from exile around 538 B.C., according to Nehemiah, they took up from Beersheba, to the Valley of Hinnom. That's talked about in Nehemiah 11.30. But sadly, the bad news continued even after Old Testament times in the New Testament. This was a place where the chief priests bought a potter's field. Are you ready for this? Same place. A potter's field with Judas Iscariot's infamous 30 pieces of silver. Not wanting to keep the money, they decided to use it to buy a burial place for foreigners this is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Matthew 27, 6-8 talks about that. The version of the story in Acts turns quite gory. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Ekeldama. That is, field of blood. That's talked about in Acts 1, 18 and 19. Bad press or not, the Valley of Hinnom is a big part of the history of Jerusalem. And despite what you may imagine from the grim description above, it also makes for one of the most picturesque, picturesque walks you can take in the Holy City. But going back to the monastic life, the centerpiece of the visit to the Valley of Hinnom is the coven, convent of Ekeldema which is the Aramaic word for field of blood, bringing us back to the New Testament story that I've been talking about. According to tradition, the convent, by the way, if you're there in Israel, if you're listening in Israel, you know this to be true, is open Tuesdays and Thursdays from 9 a.m. to noon and 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., only two days and those two times. It is built over the site, this convent is built over the site where tradition says Judas hanged himself. Isn't that something? Can you imagine building a convent over a place where such a huge biblical event happened? But here's the thing. If you ever visit Gehenna or, or Gehenom, your visit will end on a note of healing because just around the corner from the convent is the Pool of Siloam. There, archaeologists have uncovered the remains of the second temple pool where Jesus told a blind man to wash 
to restore his sight. That's talked about in John 1, or I'm sorry, John 9, 1 through 11. Beyond it lies the city of David with many more treasures to explore. Let's go to verse 7, just for fun, because i got to move on. For people have tamed and continue to tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures. But the tongue no one can claim. No one can tame. It is an unstable and evil thing, full of death-dealing poison. Folks, Yaakov, or James here, this is absolutely astounding that he would use this powerful language. But the tongue no one can tame. It is an unstable and evil thing, full of death-dealing poison. Why don't you tell us what you really think, Yaakov? The tongue is an evil thing. Lashon hara in, uh, in Hebrew, which literally means tongue of the evil, in Judaism refers to gossip, backbiting, rumor-mongering, slander, and other misuses of speech. The Talmud condemns it severely. If one speaks lashon hara, it is as though he denied God. The sin of lashon hara is weighed equally with the sins of idolatry, sexual immorality, and murder. The three sins named are those for which, according to the Talmud, quoted in Acts 15, verse 20, first part of verse 20, a Jew is supposed to give up his life rather than commit. Zelig Pliskin, he's a non-Messianic Jew. He's written an interesting book on the laws of Lashon Hara, um, and the name of the book is called Guard Your Tongue. I don't agree with everything that he says, but he said some interesting things. Based on the writings, he wrote this on the writings of uh, Rabbi Israel Meir Kagon, known as the Shefetz Kain, uh, the desirer of life, from Psalm 34, 13 through 14, and then uh, 12 and 13. Which of you is a desirer of life and wants long life to enjoy what is good? Then keep your tongue, Lashon, from evil, ra, and your lips from uttering lies. The Shefetz Chaim died in 1934 at the age of 95. He points out that even true statements may be lashon hara if relating them, telling them, saying them can cause damage. Now this is what he says, and I'm going to tell you I disagree with this. I believe very firmly that political correctness tends to many, many things, I'm going to give an example of it, is a poison. It's absolutely a poison. He says, Beware of Lashon Hara when speaking on the telephone. If the person with whom you are conversing insists on relating Lashon Hara, or in other words, backbiting or gossiping or whatever, you should rebuke him. If this is not possible, find an excuse to hang up. Excuse me, something has come up. The Lashon Hara and discontinue the conversation. Out of the heart proceeds all kinds of evils. Mark 7, 20-23. And the first place they go, talked about in verse 6, is the tongue. Now, I disagree. I'm just going to tell you this. I disagree with the, the great rabbi. I disagree with his writing there. I don't believe in lying to someone on the phone. If this is not possible, what does this mean, this is not possible? You simply tell them, I won't be a party to that. Stop right where you are. That person isn't privy to this conversation, so we won't have this conversation. And if the person insists on continuing, hang up the phone. But don't make up a lie. Don't, don't start 
down a path where uh, the whole little white lie, that goes nowhere good and nowhere fast. No one benefits from it. In this country, we've done something egregious, but we didn't know we were. You see, when the whole first uh, political correctness started to swirl around, you know what we did? We tried to be what they said we were. They said we were polite. Originally, this is what they said. If you look back, those Christians are very polite. They don't talk bad about anybody. No, they're nice people, those Christians. So if you want to be a nice person and you don't want to be a racist or a bigot, then what you do is you use the language that we use. We make up this language and we use this language, and so you should use it too. And so we changed all kinds of words. We co-opted. We allowed them to co-opt our vernacular. Our vernacular is, of course, the words we use in our daily life. We allowed them to do that. And the way that we allowed them to do that is we started using words like progressive. Preachers in the pulpit stopped talking about hell. Preachers in the pulpit stopped talking about sin. Preachers in the pulpit stopped talking about evil and bad worldview. Bad politics. Corruption. All of those things. They stopped talking about that and they said, you know what, we want to be come from a place of love. Because you know what, that's what we are. We're people of love. And we are. We absolutely are. There's no doubt about it that we're people of love. We're loving people. There's no more generous, loving people in the world than the Christian. And I might add, the Jew. Now let me let me stipulate here. I've been really getting hit hard with this uh, in interviews and different things. Um, you've got to understand there is a major difference, major, major difference between the Jew of which I speak, both Messianic and Covenant Jew, and the secular Jew. You need to understand that the secular Jew, their only connection to their history and their faith is the fact that they call themselves a Jew. They are no more Jewish than I am. In fact, I'm probably more Jewish than they are. You can't look at this Iran deal, uh, and I use air quotes for those listening at home, this deal that is being talked about. It's going to be rammed through unless we get serious about fighting it. Serious about fighting it. Folks, you need to understand that not only is this unconstitutional, what's happening, what's happened thus far and what is happening now and what will happen in the coming days as it relates to this Iran negotiation, air quotes, not a negotiation. We said, what would you like? And they said, we want this, 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 and this. Okay, good, we'll give you that. Is there anything else you'd like? Because we have more we'd like to give you. And John Kerry did. The whole team did. But here's the thing. You might say, well, you know, Israel, they're big, they're big folk. They, they can handle their stuff. And, you know, they get millions of dollars from us every year. This is what I hear a lot. They get millions of dollars, billions of dollars, I'm sorry, from us every year. They should be able to, listen, we support them. We give them the money. They should be able to do with that what they will. Why do they need billions of dollars? Because every single Arab neighbor around them wants to kill them. 
They want to kill them. And they will. And they try, and they do. But the fact of the matter is, when, when we speak of Jews, when, when I say Jews, I don't want you to hear all people of Jewish descent. I want you to hear Messianic Jew and Covenant Jew, either Orthodox or otherwise. Because if it's an academic or a secular Jew, like I say, they're not going to... You can't claim 80% of America's Jews support the Iran deal, when in fact none of them have read it. I digress. Verse 9, with it we bless Adonai the Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the image of God. There's a lot in this verse. It's a very powerful verse. With it, it being our tongue, we bless Adonai the Father. That's one good thing, right? We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to bless Adonai. Bless his holy name. Oh, bless his name. Right? We, that's what we're called to do. Bless his name. Worship his name. Call upon his name and worship and praise. And yet, with it, we curse people. We say, but they're not God. Who were made in the image of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. You ever hear the saying, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. How many have heard that? Right? How many have said that? Right? He's talking out of both sides of his mouth. That would be our current political climate right now. You know, real quick on the Iran deal, you need to understand that no one of any consequence has read that, the, this, this agreement. Congress hasn't read it. The people that stand up and support it, they haven't read it. They haven't seen it. What they've seen is talking points presented to them by the White House and the, the Secretary of State, John Kerry. You tell me. Is that representation? Is this what we're supposed to have in this country? The question ultimately is, why are we standing for it? Is it because we're afraid that this passage of Scripture says, don't say mean things to people? Don't say the truth because you'll be perceived as being mean and therefore you'll be in violation of your own Scripture. Christians... Brothers, it isn't right for things to be this way. He goes on to say, verse 11, A spring doesn't send both fresh and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Have you ever been? I grew up in a place called Love Creek. And in that creek, it goes from uh, out at the bay, which is fed by the ocean. It, it's pure salt water. It's just total salt water, 100% salt water. But then as you go down a little bit, you wind your way through the creek, Long about Love Creek Bridge, you start to see, hey, I'm starting to be able to see the bottom. But you still know that it's salt water, but it's starting to turn a little bit. We call that. We call that brackish. Us country folk, us Sussex County country folk, we call that brackish. That water's brackish. I don't even know if that's a real word. I just say it because I was told it. So brackish water, and then a little bit later, as you're rowing deeper into the creek, the water is crystal clear. You can actually drink it. I don't know about now, but when I was a kid, I used to drink it all the time. You get thirsty out there, just tootling around, little rowboat, looking to see. One time I saw a whole herd of deer at the edge of the water. I'm out in the middle, 
And I'm looking, and there they are, and they're all drinking and frolicking in the water. Don't you know I sat there for hours and watched them, still as I could be, little boy, watching these deer and all this different wildlife. And it was just amazing. You could see fish in the water swimming. You could just about reach down and grab one if you wanted. It was amazing. It was amazing. But both fresh and bitter water don't come from the same opening. There's a period of which it goes from salt to fresh, that middle period. Can a fig tree yield olives, folks? Yaakov is being very simple here. He's keeping it simple, stupid. He's saying, hey, listen, look around you. Look at the earth. He uses what God made. You know, we're not to worship the creation. We're to worship the creator. But creation has, it testifies to the creator. So he uses these examples. He says, can a fig tree yield olives, my brothers, or a grapevine figs? Well, what's the answer? No. Neither does salt water produce fresh. Verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him demonstrate it by his good way of life, by actions done in the humility that grows out of wisdom. He's asking this group of people that he's talking to, Yaakov, he's saying, who among you is wise and understanding? And he says, let him demonstrate it by his good way of life. Remember what I say all the time, our calling is not something we do. There's a lot of retired folks in here. It's not what you did for your career. It's not what you did for your hobby. You know, there's some people that their hobby they view as their calling. Maybe it's a sport. I was called to do this sport or that sport. I was called to be a violinist. Now, maybe that, that is part of your calling. I was called to be a physician. I was called to repair cars. I was called to teach. I was called to be a homemaker. I was called to be a protector. I was called to join medals together. I was called to be an administrator. You know what? That, very, that may be part of your calling. Our calling is our life. It's our whole Life, by his good way of life, we demonstrate that we are wise and understanding. By actions. Flappy mouth. Flappy mouth. Flappy, 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 flappy mouth. How many people do you know? Their jaws flapping, their tongues just blah, 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 blah. And they talk, 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 talk. And you, you just look at them, you go, mm, 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 mm. when will you bind that tongue? They're going to talk me to death. Right? You ever have that? You know people like that. You see people that you avoid. When they come at you, you're like, mm, Lord Jesus, take me now. Turn me to turn me to dust and make take care of me to heaven. I can't listen to this person not one more minute. Yeah, you know, it doesn't happen here. This is an awesome bunch. But let me tell you, you know, it, it is amazing. We know people. I can see a lot of smiles. We all know people. Like that, right? We know people talk us to death, don't say nothing. Talk a million miles a minute, don't go around the block. That's one of my little sayings when I was a kid. I told you I was country. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know people that are just flat-out idiots, but talk. They confirm it by what all they say. You know, if they just kept their mouth shut, maybe they're good-looking. You know, they're sharp-looking. You'd be like, mm, that person is sharp-looking. They're very, very dignified. You know, very dignified person. They look so sharp, 
so so well dressed. My goodness. And then they open their mouth. How y'all doing? I'm going down the street to get me a soda pop. You want some? And you're like, is that voice coming out of that person? Because before you open your mouth, I thought you were really smart and wise. And now all of a sudden, you don't seem that so much. Or let them talk about their politics. Look so sharp. They're just pinned right up. We call that pinned right up. They're pinned right up. They're looking good. Their shoes are shined. Got a sharp tie on, whatever. You know, the good look. Got the good haircut. And then you start talking about politics. You know I'm not going to look at myself talking about no good haircut. I'm growing into my haircut. So, so you know, people talk about politics. As soon as they open their mouth about politics, you know, you got to look at them sometimes and go, how do you tie your shoes in the morning? You look down and it's Velcro, Velcro shoes. You understand why they don't. This is understandable. I'm nothing against Velcro shoes. I'm, I'm there. I, I have shoes I slip on. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You wonder, how do you make a decision on what to eat in the morning? How do you just stand at the stove? and go, that modern marvel, how even do I turn it on? You just, people open their mouth, they talk politics, they're stupid. They're just plain right dumb. And you say to yourself, how's this happen? How do you do it? How do you get yourself to work? How do you brush your teeth with a toothbrush and not the bar of soap? You see the two things, you think, they talk about politics, you say to yourself, oh Lord Jesus, we're in deep trouble. I say it all the time. I say it all the time. I say, folks, these people vote. People love to send me stuff. They do. They send me video clips of stuff all the time. People being interviewed. And, 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 and uh, one of the ones, this guy named Ami, I'm going to have him on my show. Uh, my show tomorrow is 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, The Collision of Faith and Politics. It is definitely going to be off the chain. That's all I'm going to say about it. I am so fired up. I want to do it right now. So here's the thing. With only nine minutes to go. Hang in there, folks. It'll be all right. I don't get any worse than this. So... Here's the thing. Somebody opens their mouth about politics or religion, and you know they don't know a thing about what they're talking about. I have read the Bible. I have read the Bible, and my God isn't – then they tell you how they recreated God in their own image, right? They've, they've condensed the Bible to one little quick statement, and they say this is – you know, people always say, judge not lest you be judged. You know, that's why we should never call somebody out for doing wrong. Judge not, lest you be should judge. They don't even know the context of it. They don't even know. They don't know the verse before the verse after, but they know that little saying, and they quote, that's their life verse. Judge not, lest you be judged. You all know people like that. And doesn't it drive you absolutely bonkers? I'm so sorry for people in the um, chat. There's people in the chat. I am so sorry that I did not see that. I didn't click on it, but boy, you got some good stuff in there. There's some very, very sharp comments in here, and I want you to know I'm going to save these, and I apologize. Email me or connect with me on facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio Show or God and Country Radio or theninjapastor.com. Go to the, com, go to the uh, contact me. Send me a message through that because this is some good stuff, really good stuff. Somebody up in here knows their scripture. So... I just I just want to illustrate this point. It's it's this important. It really is this important. Some people don't know what they're talking about. Don't let yourself be one of those people. Somebody told me one time, I read all the way through the Bible. I've read all the way through the Bible. And then I said, Did you read the Old Testament? Well, no. That's in the Bible. That that's the first part of the Bible. You can't even get your shoulders warmed up, your neck warmed up. You can't get your wrists all warmed up, page turning. 
until you read through the, some of the Old Testament. How are you going to read through the whole Bible, but you're going to skip over our, our beginning? How are you going to skip over the miracles that are that are talked about in the beginning? How are you going to know what they're talking about in the New Testament when they talk about it? And back when this happened, this happened and that happened and all these other things, God did this or that. How are you going to know what they're even talking about if you didn't read the Old Testament? Don't tell me you read the whole Bible. They confirm it when they start flapping their jaws. Actions done in the humility that grows out of wisdom. My goodness, I, was, I could swear we would have gotten done. But y'all talk so much that I couldn't even get done. But if, you're harbor, if you harbor in your hearts, this is verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, don't boast and attack the truth with lies. Folks, how many times have you known you were right? And some folks, we just listened, quick plug for Center for Self-Governance. I'm affiliated with them. I will, I will, I'm telling you, centerforselfgovernance.com. I am telling you, folks, it is the secret sauce. It's how we can take our country back. It is how we can take our country back. We are taught to engage people that have some element of control over us, whether elected or unelected. And I can tell you, in my process of doing my homework, I am consistently amazed at people that will say, elected officials and people, unelected officials that have risen to a high level, that talk about what the Constitution says. And I have to look at them with that dog. You know how dogs do when they go, you know, they turn their head like that. I look at them like that sometimes, and sometimes I slip up and make the sound. And so they, sometimes you look at them, you go, and where, you know, how did you, what do you mean? You know, I've seen... In the de- I have seen in the debates people talking about this is the GOP supposed to be the grand old party talking about conservatism. I've seen them quote and say things that are absolutely untrue. They talked about the Kim Davis real briefly. Kim Davis situation in Rowan County, Kentucky. The only one on that stage, there's only two on that stage that knew what they were talking about. Ted Cruz and Huckabee. Now there's no chance in the world I would ever vote for Huckabee. I'm I'm not a Huckabee fan. God bless him. I love his fervor for scripture and all that, but I just the guy's just not my guy. Ted Cruz, different story. What most of you don't know is Donald Trump sent a huge donation to Matt Staver and Liberty Council to defend her. And he did so anonymously. I'm not a Trump guy either, I'm just saying. Dude's not all bad. Because if he wanted good press or bad press, he would have made that public. You know he's not afraid of flaming darts. But my thing is, people talk about that, and they're supposed to know. They don't know a thing. I used to tell police officers, I used to train police officers all the time, and one of the things I would talk about is constitutional law. And I would say, listen, folks, you need to understand, you can't act upon what you think is common sense. People think that police officers, you just tell them, just act on your common sense. First of all, folks, have you seen some of the people that are becoming police officers nowadays? You talk about social engineering. It's, it's different. Folks that are used to be a police officer, used to be in the military and have all this background. Not anymore. Not anymore. I interviewed a lady one time, did her background check. And she, The only job, the toughest, most dangerous job she'd ever done, she was a stay-at-home mom, she w- drove a school bus for fourth graders. And and she, I hate to be crude, but she peed her pants one day. She's so upset. She peed her pants and had to go home. She quit that job. And then a few months later, she comes applying. Guess what? They hired her. Then she got caught carrying an empty gun because a, a full gun 
scared her. They gave her they gave her a smaller shotgun to fire because the shotgun that you qualify with scared her. So they gave her a smaller one. They said, you know what, we'll just test you on this one. Because they were in all kinds of trouble because they didn't have enough women. But let me just tell you right now, I know several women on that police department can outshoot me, outfight me, just all the way from here to here. They can they they're tough and they can do the job. I'm not saying women can't do it. I'm saying these particular ones. But you talk to them and you say, you ask them a question. They don't know the first thing. So I say, listen, folks, don't trust what you think is common sense. Trust the law. You're here to enforce the law. And the law isn't always common sense. Isn't that crazy? This wisdom is not the kind that comes down from above. On the contrary, it is worldly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there are jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disharmony in every foul practice. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, then peaceful, kind, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And then finally, and peacemakers. Remind me, next week I'm going to talk about this one verse. I'm going to talk about this one word and this one verse. Peacemaker who sow a seed in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Go to theninjapastor.com. There's a donate button there. If you are so inclined, we'd love to have that. We put everything right back in the ministry. Please pray for my friend Chris Cahalan, his beautiful wife, Jessica. They are in the fight of their lives. I'm telling you, they're in the fight of their lives. God can change everything. And he often does. God bless you. Join us next week. Join me Monday for the Collision of Faith and Politics, 4 p.m. Same channel you're on now. God bless you. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.